You know, it wasn't very long ago, I really began to wonder about the glory of God. And, and what I mean is I, I, would, uh, I would read in the Bible that we needed to glorify God, to give God glory. I'm sure you've all read and heard, understood the same thing. But then also I would um, read about his glory as if it was a thing. But then also I was to glorify him. I, I kind of was trying to really understand what that was. It, and so it wasn't very long after I kind of began to ask those questions. How is it that I glorify God if his glory is a, a you know, a, a noun, if you will, like a, it, it is a thing of, that he is. So I was, I was discovering those things and uh, God really directed me to a scripture in Matthew, uh, Matthew chapter 10. And I said on the Bible app, you should look in there. There's going to be a lot of scripture today, and I'm not going to really take time to go through all of it, but um, I would encourage you to go and dig into a lot of the things we're going to talk about today. In Matthew chapter 10, verse 1, uh, Jesus, it says, Jesus called his 12 disciples to him, and he gave them authority to drive out impure spirits, to heal every disease and sickness. And as you go, proclaim, oh, and sorry, go to verse 7. As you go, proclaim this message. The kingdom of heaven has come near. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons. Freely you have received, freely you should give. So when I read that passage, it was like God stopped me. And, and he said, this is what I want to do for you and for the church. When I say you, I'm talking about the church, specifically our church. It wasn't long until I really put the two together to see that this is what God wanted to do for us. The same thing that, that Jesus had done for the disciples, that he, he gave them this authority. And then I realized through that in my, disco my discovering that glory is the key to that because it's for God's glory that these things happen. And it's in his glory that these things are possible. Essentially, understanding God's glory is of the utmost importance for a Christian. It is the most important thing um, that we can do. So let me back up a little bit and say this in the very, from the very outset. It's not about us. Really, it's just not about us. You see, we live in a very egocentric world. Our society is ego egocentric. Everything in society, is, it is about us. Most of us have probably suffered from this at one time or another. And, and we all know that it's not about us. When we receive Christ, we get that it's not about us, but then we all think, oh, look how awesome we are, right? We kind of get this thing like, oh, we're so awesome. Oh, look at what's going on. Oh, this is, this is about me. I'm doing this. I've got this taken care of. I, I, we fall into this egocentric trap. We have a hard time getting it through our heads that it's not about us. We know it's not, but how do we Live that. So I just want to go from the beginning and say it's not about us. And if it's not about us, then what is it about? If it's not about us, what is it about? The answer is that it is about His glory. It is all about His glory. This is the answer. This is what everything in this world is about. And what I mean is we see it everywhere. We see it in the Bible when you read the Bible. We see it in the, the worship music that we sing and the hymns and the choruses. We've heard it perhaps ourselves from other people and maybe we even have spoken about it ourselves. Yet I think most of us don't really have an idea 
about what the glory of God is. I thought I did, let me say that, until I really started to get into it. And I realized I, I don't really think I knew. So this is going to be difficult, I think, for us to, to really grapple with. So I'm going to encourage you. This, today's going to be kind of a teaching thing, so follow along with that. But um, I, I need you to really dig into this and, and let your mind meditate on His glory. So what is God's glory then? In all of my research on glory, I came across a definition that I really liked from the Baker Encyclopedia of the Bible, and, and I loved it. This is what it says. Glory is the singular splendor of God and its consequences for mankind. The singular splendor of God and its consequence for mankind. The Hebrew word for glory is kabod. I hope I'm saying that right. <laughs> and it means weighty or heavy or important, okay? So keep that in mind. Then the Greek word for, for glory is doxa or doxen. And it means splendor or brightness or honor and greatness. In the Hebrew and in the Greek, both uh, in the ancient cultures, they used both of those words to uh, refer to a person's influence or wealth, to, to describe a prominent person. They would use the word kabod or doxin. Those are the words that, that would describe that, that person. So then the, the writers of the Bible then used these words to describe the exalted God that they worship, an exalted state or condition, and what they were trying to get us to, to understand in the way that they use the words. It's a shame that we don't really speak that language or we would understand better, but they were saying that God's being is higher than the highest. And they would use these words to, to try to describe that. So if we try to define God's glory, it would be really hard for us to do. I mean, we have the simple definition, the, sing, the singular splendor of God and its consequence for mankind. But that does not carry enough depth to the glory of God. So if we look at his attributes, then it might be a little easier to talk about that. His characteristics, his holiness, his love, his grace as elements of his glory. Then there's another word, and, and a word that I just, I really love. It's called Shekinah. And Shekinah is a word that means dwelling. I was confused by this word because I grew up um, in the church hearing the word Shekinah. We would pray for the, the Shekinah glory of God. I didn't, and, and so then I started to study this, and I, I got into the scripture, and I couldn't find the word Shekinah anywhere. So we have to really get into history to understand Shekinah. References to the glory of God often contain a, a particular historical manifestation of His presence. You follow me? Um, when the presence of God is manifest in something, the ancient writers would refer to that as Shekinah, the Shekinah glory. I images of light and fire are used very often in, throughout the, the Old and New Testament associated with his indwelling presence or his a manifestation of his presence. And so then the uh, rabbinical literature, the rabbis would have written, they called it Shekinah glory. It refers primarily to the 
presence of God in the pillar of fire and then of cloud. You remember in, when he was leading the Israelites through the wilderness, the Shekinah, the indwelling presence of God. And when we talk about the Shekinah glory, that's, that's really what we're after here. We want the indwelling manifestation, presence of God's glory in us and in the church, okay? I told you there's going to be a lot of teaching today, so follow along. That's why the, the notes are important, uh, if you can follow along in, in there. All right, so where does the word glory come from? And how is it used in the Scripture? We can go all the way back to uh, Exodus. The first explicit reference to the glory cloud is found in Exodus chapter 13. But earlier examples of God's visible presence should probably be included as well. You remember in Genesis where it says the, uh, the, the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters can be interpreted as His glory. It's, it's likely the same glory cloud, if you will, that hovered over Israel as they were wandering through the wilderness at the Exodus. Read Deuteronomy uh, chapter 32. And then Abraham, if you remember in Genesis 13, he saw a smoking uh, fire and a flaming torch. Those also should be understood to be the flaming presence of God at the burning bush. Do you remember the burning bush in Exodus chapter 3? And then that anticipates the later presence of the glory of God on Mount Sinai in Exodus chapter 24. So you can see, even going back to Genesis, when His Spirit, the glory of God, was hovering over the waters in a physical place. And then that, that is in a physical way, excuse me, and it is the manifestation of the, the glory of God, His physical presence, that caused the earth to be created, that led the children of Israel, that spoke to Moses, that Abraham saw. At the same time of the Exodus, the glory of God appeared as, as a cloud and fire to lead the people. And then at Sinai, the Israelites um, encamped around the mountain. You remember that story? The glory of God comes as a fire to speak to Moses in the sight of his people. Exodus 19. When Moses is given a glimpse of the glory, now this is cool, unconcealed by the cloud and fire. Remember, the cloud and the fire concealed his glory on the mountain, and, it, and Moses was given a glimpse of that. His face became so radiant that they could see God's glory on his face, and it caused the people to be scared. They began to fear the glory of God. I mean, excuse me, Moses, because the glory lingered. So the people of God have experienced His glory going all the way back to the very beginning. The glory cloud of the Old Testament was, was their glory. But listen, God is still in the midst of His people. He, he's changed it. He, he did not come in a pillar of fire over one place. It's not like His glory is in one place and we have to follow that around. You remember in Acts when it appeared as if tongues of fire came to rest over each of them, they all received the glory of God, His Spirit. And then um, it, it says the Spirit of glory rests on those who suffer for the name of Christ. That's in 1 Peter. And that the Spirit is the guarantee of the glorious inheritance of the saints in Romans 8. So the glory of God is a physical manifestation of His presence. 
but it's also something that we have to lift up. You see why it gets confusing? It's the, it's, it's the glory of God as a physical manifestation of his presence, but I think you'll begin to see here in a minute that it's kind of the same thing. Because he, his glory is so great and so awesome and so magnificent, everything in creation cries out to his glory. And when we worship this morning, it was because of his glory and for his glory. For no other reason. There is no other reason. People do not stand up here on the stage to, uh, and play instruments and sing songs for their own glory. It is only for God's glory. If we're doing it for ourselves, listen, we can begin to talk about scriptures about people chasing their own glory and the disaster that comes on them. So what about seeing God's glory? Moses asked in Exodus 33 to see his glory. In fact, I have the scripture here. Uh, Exodus 33, uh, starting with verse 19. Then Moses said, Now show me your glory. And the Lord said, I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you, and I will proclaim my name, the Lord, in your presence. I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. But, he said, you cannot see my face, for no one may see my face and live. Then the Lord said, There is a place near me where you may stand on a rock. When my glory passes by, I will put you in a cleft in the rock and cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will remove my hand and you will see my back, but my face must not be seen. <laughs> I mean, can you imagine being Moses in that minute? God's going to pass by you you desperately want, I do too, to see God, to see him in all of his glory and splendor, but we can't and live. And Moses is saying, God, I just want to see you. Can I see you? Let's meet. Let's, let's, let's face to face. And, Mo, and God says, I can't. But here's what I'll do. I'll, I'll, and we even have a song um, in the cleft of the rock. He puts Moses in the cleft of the rock, passes by, covers, got to be a big hand too, right? Covers him with his hand as he passes by and then says, okay, now you can look. Moses looks at him from behind. Mm. God himself described his glory as his goodness. But his face has to be concealed because there's no living thing that can look into the brightness of his face. Moses was able to get a glimpse of the glory of God, but only from behind. God revealed only a portion of his splendor to Moses. But it so affected Moses that other people were scared to even look at him. In fact, they made Moses cover his face. Let's, Exodus chapter 34. Uh, when Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the two tablets of the testimony in his hands, he was not aware that his face was radiant because he had spoken with the Lord. When Aaron and all, and all the Israelites saw Moses, his face was radiant and they were afraid to come near him. When Moses was finished speaking to them, he put a veil over his face. God's glory is so significant that it causes fear and, rever and reverence. He has, he has the, his glory is so awesome, so magnificent, so splendorous. Which makes me wonder when we pray, when we approach God, when we are getting ready to enter into his glory, how are we approaching him? Are we approaching with fear and reverence? 
Or do we just rush in? It's dangerous to just rush in. This is a manifestation. The fear and reverence, it's not, it's not a bad thing. It's a manifestation of the recognition of who God is and who we are. Of our insignificant status compared to God's holiness. I think we take for granted the magnificence of God. I think we take for granted the glory of God. I think we take for granted how amazing and awesome and, and we'll run out of adjectives that he is. The prophet Ezekiel had the same reaction in uh, Ezekiel 3.23. So I got up and I went out to the plain and behold, the glory of the Lord was standing there like the glory which I saw by the river Chibar and I fell on my face. Just saw the glory of the Lord. He fell on his face. If you read in Daniel chapter 10, the prophet Daniel saw a great heavenly vision and his strength was drained from his body so he fell into a deep sleep. <laughs> he was presented with the glory of God and he passed out. He couldn't stand it. The strength left his body. In 1 Kings chapter 8, when the priest withdrew from the holy place, the cloud filled the temple of the Lord, and the priest could not perform their service because the cloud, for the glory of the Lord, filled the temple. When can we experience the glory of the Lord in the church when we gather together? When was the last time that the pastor was unable to complete his mission, his job, because the glory of the Lord filled the place and it stopped everything? That's what I'm praying for. That's what I want. I want the glory of God in such a way that when I uh, see or encounter it, that I can't help but fall into a deep sleep. I want to experience the glory of God so much that people look at me and they say, oh, cow, we can't look. We need you to cover your face because God's glory is radiant on you. I think some of us have never really understood the glory. Now that we're beginning to get a peek of who God is and who are we, it's, it's like St. Francis of Assisi. I told the story and he... When one thing he was famous for is saying, oh God, who art thou and who am I? The glory of God is nothing we can investigate. It's, it's nothing that we can go and check out as if it were a science fiction novel. We, we can't say, oh, let's watch this movie of, of uh, science fiction and discover the glory of God. That, that's not what it is. The glory of God is unlike anything in all of creation. It's quite literally the manifestation of his awesome Holy Spirit. We've been praying for the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, come and be in this place. Holy Spirit, come and meet with us. Holy Spirit, be here. But are we really ready for the Holy Spirit to be manifest in a physical way? This is a uniquely spiritual experience that can happen in no other way. Our very core is touched by God's presence. His Holy Spirit begins to melt the things away inside of us. And, and we begin to change and morph into who He is. Does that make any sense? And so the glory of God is His Spirit. And we can have that in us. My question is, are we? Have we been touched 
to the core? Have our knees begin to weaken? Have we literally fallen on our faces when we have confronted the glory? Or are we just playing a game and we haven't really experienced His glory? The physical manifestation of the presence of God. You see, it's for His glory that things exist. Everything happens to reveal the glory of God. That's why He created us to reflect His glory. It's why the heavens exist. It's, it's why God chose Israel. It's why He sent Jesus. It's why lives are changed. It's why people are healed. It's why creation exists. It's why the, the zucchini and squash that I planted are creeping up out of the, the earth. And, and it's kind of cool to see. And they kind of begin to see, you know how it is when you, you've seen the plants. It's, it's for the glory of God. I look at that and say, oh, I'm going to get some sustenance for that. But that's not why the plants do that. It's for God's glory. God's glory is His presence. This is cool. And is contained in His presence. His glory is His presence, but His glory is contained in His presence. It is by and for the glory of God that miracles happen. John 1.14 tells us that Jesus is the embodiment of God's glory. It doesn't say this, but I think that in Matthew 10, when Jesus was giving the disciples authority, that he imparted God's glory on them. His, he imparted the Spirit Remember, it is for God's glory that people are healed. There is no other reason. Because quite honestly, if somebody were to die and they know Jesus, then they get to go to heaven. It's better for them. But we don't want, listen, I understand. I've been in the situation. I don't want that. I, I want them with me here, you know. So if I ask for somebody to be healed, then it's, and they are healed, it's only for his glory so that he can be lifted up, so that he can be glorified, so that people can say, oh, there's a God. Please understand that God's glory in his presence does not exist as a genie in a bottle for us, though. I think sometimes we do that. We, we wrap him up into this bottle and, and we say, okay, I need a little glory now to heal this person. Thanks, God. Okay, I need a little glory to get me through this tough situation. Okay, God, I need a little glory to help me out. And, and we use him that way. God, help us and forgive us for the times that we've used you. Everything we do should be for his glory. But it's crazy, right? We're doing it for his glory, but it's in his glory that miracles happen. It's for his glory and in his glory. Man, that's awesome. If miracles are absent from our church and our lives, what does that say about the glory of God in our lives? That's a tough one to swallow. If miracles are absent, what does it say about his glory? Have we really experienced his glory like we think we have? Because Jesus gave the disciples authority to drive out demons and to heal people and to... We've been given the same authority. Have we tapped into that? 
So here's my prayer for our church. God, let your glory fall. We need to pray vigilantly for God's glory to enter our lives. God, let your glory fall. I read a book called uh, The Circle Maker. It was was a good book. I I really enjoyed it. But there was a story in there that really caught me. So I want to read this story to you, um, and then we're going to close after the story. But talking about God's glory falling. And, And hang with me. You'll understand. It was the first century B.C., and a devastating drought threatened to destroy a generation, the generation before Jesus. The last of the Jewish prophets had died off nearly four centuries before. Miracles were such a distant memory that they seemed like a false memory. And God was nowhere to be heard. But there was one man, an eccentric sage, who lived outside the walls of Jerusalem. He dared to pray anyway. His name was Honi. And even if the people could no longer hear God, he believed that God could still hear them. When rain is plentiful, it's an afterthought. During a drought, it's the only thought. And Honi was their only hope. Famous for his ability to pray for rain, it was on this day, the day, that Honey would earn his moniker. With a six-foot staff in his hand, Honey began to turn like a math compass. His circular movement was rhythmical and methodical, 90 degrees, 180 degrees, 270 degrees, 360 degrees. He never looked up as the crowd looked on. After what seemed like hours that had only been seconds, Honey stood in the side, inside the circle he had drawn. Then he dropped to his knees and he raised his hands to heaven. With the authority of the prophet Elijah, he called down fire from heaven. Honey called down rain. Lord of the universe, he said, I swear before your great name that I will not move from this circle until you have shown mercy upon your children. The words sent a shudder down the spine of all who were within earshot that day. It wasn't just the volume of his voice. It was the authority of his tone not a hint of doubt. This prayer didn't originate in the vocal cords. Like water from an artesian well, the words flowed from the depth of his soul. His prayer was resolute yet humble, confident yet meek, expectant yet unassuming. Then it happened. As his prayer ascended to the heavens, raindrops descended to the earth. An audible gasp swept across the thousands of congregants who had encircled Honey. Every head turned heavenward as the first raindrops parachuted from the sky, but Honey's head remained bowed. The people rejoiced over each drop, but Honey wasn't satisfied with the sprinkle. Still kneeling within the circle, Honey lifted his voice over the sounds of celebration. Not for such a rain have I prayed, but for rain that will fill cisterns, pits, and caverns. The sprinkle turned into such a torrential downpour that eyewitnesses said no raindrop was smaller than an egg in size. It rained so heavily and so steadily that the people fled to the Temple Mount to escape the flash floods. Honey stayed and prayed inside his protected circle. Once more, he refined his bold request. Not for such a rain have I prayed, but for the rain of thy favor, blessing, and graciousness. Then, like a well-proportioned sun shower on a hot and humid August afternoon, it it began to rain calmly and peacefully. Each raindrop was a tangible token of God's grace. And they didn't just soak the skin, they soaked the spirit with faith. It would be forever remembered as the day. 
the day thunderclaps applauded the Almighty, the day puddle jumping became an act of praise, the day the legend of the circle maker was born. It had been difficult to believe the day before the day, the day after the day, it was impossible not to believe. <laughs> the band's going to come up and we're going to close in a song in a minute, but I just want to ask, will you pray with me for the Shekinah glory of God to fall in this place? Can we experience the dwelling glory? Would you draw a circle around this place with me? And I know we're not together, but we will be soon. In your mind's eye, in your heart, draw a circle around this place. And let's say, God, would you send your glory? Can we become a church that is known for the glory of God? Not for our glory or how great we are, but for God's glory. Can we be known as a church that drew the circle and began to pray, God, we're not going to leave this circle until you send your presence, your glory, a manifestation of you. Will you boldly pray that with me? You know, we've been talking about the Holy Spirit and, and this is the next step. Holy Spirit comes and He lives within us and He changes us and, and He melts us and he, he, he makes us one with Him. Are we allowing Him to manifest Himself through us? or in us. Over the next several weeks, this is, gonna, this is my prayer. I, I would like for you to pray with me. In fact, where you're at now, would you just make that your prayer, God? We want your glory. We want to see you move in this church. God, would you send a glory cloud so that we couldn't even have church when we get back together because we can't finish our work because your glory has come in such a way. Because it's in your glory that miracles happen and miracles happen for your glory. because of your spirit. <laughs> it's awesome. Man, I thank you today. Would you send your glory? And now as we close our time together, and I know people, hundreds of people all across, uh, even our country, who knows everybody who's listening, we're praying for your glory. I'm praying, and people from our church are praying specifically for your glory in this place. But would your glory be revealed in each place that is a church attended who's watching today? And God, for your glory, would you lift this COVID? Would, we could, you could just end it right now with a snap of your fingers. Man, God, send your glory, we pray. Jesus.